For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now. And if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some meat eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him, but I just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Weekend Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Folks, as you know, this uh, show must go on and it gets recorded all over the place. And once again, I'm on the long and lonesome. Well, not that lonesome, because I got old Chester Floyd, a guy named Chili, and a dog named Snort, and we're road tripping to Pheasant Fest in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, by the time you hear this, you know, it, it'll be done. But, you know, I'll get to that later on. So, uh, excuse the background noise. That's just uh, America in the background. I said be careful, his bow tie is A New York man was cited last month for hoarding more than 100 animals inside his Nassau County home. Conservation officers received a tip from the local SPCA, and sure enough, they found a menagerie inside his residence. He was keeping several regulated species, including an endangered tiger salamander, two monitor lizards, and a protected diamondback terrapin, which is a kind of turtle. Or is it? Pop quiz, or rather help for your next round of meat eater trivia. Is it a turtle, a terrapin, or a tortoise? No matter what, it is a chelonian, which is the name of the group of shelled reptiles. Tortoise are land-based with domed shells sticking to almost an exclusively plant-based diet. Terrapin is a freshwater aquatic chelonian with feet and a varied diet. And turtles are primarily saltwater flippered chelonians. Unless, of course, you live in the United States, where we shun the metric system and uh, a lot of general naming convention. 
In fact, here in the United States, we call everything a turtle, even if it's teenaged mutant and gifted in martial arts. What's even more fun here in the United States, the terrapin in question, the diamondback terrapin, is the only terrapin that inhabits brackish and saltwater coastal marshes. Their native range is the eastern seaboard through the Gulf and down Mexico away. So to recap, the diamondback could be a turtle because of its living in saltwater, but it has feet, not flippers, which makes it a terrapin. If it were land-based with a dome shell, you'd more than likely call it a tortoise. Anyway, this animal hoarder in Nassau, he had a possum in a cage in his bedroom and various other animals throughout the house, including prairie dogs, tarantulas, snakes, tortoises, chickens, domesticated ducks, a peacock, crayfish, and an African snail, in addition to numerous cats and dogs. Conservation officers seized all the animals and wrote him five tickets for illegal possession of endangered, protected, and dangerous wildlife. I don't know what his bookshelf looked like, but I'd bet money he had at least one copy of Dr. Seuss's classic, If I Ran the Zoo. He was probably upset when law enforcement seized his wildlife park, but he should count his blessings. A Colorado man died last week after being bitten by one of his two pet Gila monsters. Gila monsters are venomous reptiles native to parts of the southwestern U.S. and neighboring areas of Mexico. This particular Gila monster was named Winston, and the victim's girlfriend said she walked into the bedroom to find Winston latched onto the man's hand, and not in a good way. Monitor lizards like the ones owned by the New York man don't have enough venom to kill a human, but they were blamed for the death of a man in 2002 after a bite became infected. The infection killed the unfortunate pet owner, and police found him with reptiles feasting on his dead body. Not the way I'd want to go, but I don't keep 100 animals inside my house either. This week, we've got the conservation wins, legislation, a rare stop at the psychology desk, plus so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was super cool because I got to hang out with my buddy Jesse Griffiths, who has a beautiful, super cool book coming out called The Turkey Book. We made a couple of his recipes on camera, so you'll be able to see those for yourselves in the not-too-distant future. Save your turkey gizzards, livers, and hearts. You'll be glad you did. And pick up Jesse's new book, The Turkey Book. It's wonderful in so many ways. Great thing for turkey hunters, even if they don't cook. Other than that, like I said, heading to Pheasant Fest in Sioux Falls. Road tripping. First, we're hitting the concert for conservation with Trampled by Turtles and uh, then Pheasant Fest all week long. Pheasant Fest is like the only expo-style gathering that, uh, in my opinion, gets the conservation front and center better than all others. Next up after that, we'll be uh, heading to Minneapolis for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous. If you're in the southeast, there's another big BHA get-together called the Black Bear Bonanza in Bentonville, Arkansas. That's on March 9th. Clay Newcomb and Brent Reeves will be at that one. Uh, Stop in. It's sure to be a great time. And then on top of that, uh, Ed Anderson and I are auctioning off a three-day Florida fishing trip for two people full of great food, great people, scenery, and Ed and myself. So head over to backcountryhunters.org for more info on the fishing trip of a lifetime. Old Ed Anderson is going to throw in some custom art for you, too. Moving on to the conservation desk. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis reported last month that the state has seen the lowest rate of manatee mortality since 2017. I know what you're going to say. The manatee! 
Longtime listeners of the podcast will remember all the way back to episode 124 when I told you about how Florida manatees experienced a massive die-off in 2021. 920 manatees died that year, which is over double what the average had been over the last five years. The cause of that spike was due largely to a reduction in good manatee habitat that included poor water quality, algae blooms, and a lack of the sea cow's favorite meal, seagrass. Governor DeSantis, along with Roger Young of the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, said that the state has invested nearly $2 million since 2019 to improve seagrass growth. That investment looks like it's starting to pay off as the large lumbering sea mammals, I'm still talking about manatees, appear to be thriving even in the colder winter months. We'll see if the dip in mortality continues in the years ahead, but this is definitely a good uh, flipper in the right direction. Michigan's Department of Natural Resources is reporting that the black bear population on both the upper and lower peninsula is growing. In the upper peninsula, 10,218 bears were counted in 2022, which is a 21% increase since 2012. In the northern lower peninsula, there were 2,008 bears in 2022, up 55% since 2012. These strong numbers mean that the DNR will start trying to slow population growth, which is good news for Mitten State bear hunters. Expect slightly more tags to be available in coming years, especially after this mild winter. Big thanks to listener Austin Frank for sending us that story. The Bureau of Land Management announced recently that it had updated its management plan for the Royal Gorge region in eastern Colorado. This is good news for anglers and outdoor recreators in the region because the plan will safeguard nearly 300,000 acres of land and 60 miles of river. These areas will be conserved based on their wilderness characteristics, value to the outdoor recreation economy, the region's current and past culture, as well as wildlife. Public land can be conserved via government order, but private land must be protected through cooperation with landowners. That's why Arkansas just rolled out a new program that will incentivize landowners to protect natural ecosystems and open their acreage to public use. The Conservation Incentive Program allows landowners to partner with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission to make habitat improvements that benefit migrating waterfowl, provide additional cover and food on forest land, improve streams, and control feral hogs and invasive plant species. The program offers monetary incentives for various habitat improvement work. For example, landowners can earn up to $219 per acre for timber stand improvement, or $310 per acre for wetland habitat management, uh, which is capped at the $10,000 mark. This is a great way to monetize tracts of land that aren't producing anything or to defray the costs of habitat improvements landowners want to do anyway. The Conservation Incentive Program also includes landowner benefits for public access. Landowners can earn up to $10,000 per year for allowing public access to their reservoirs, ponds, lakes, and streams, depending on the size of the body of water. The Game and Fish Commission will provide signs and trash pickup so landowners don't have to worry about people trashing their properties. If you own property in Arkansas, you can learn more about this program by looking up the Conservation Incentive Program. Applications are now open. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL 
to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now. And if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some meat eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Moving on to the legislative desk. I know I got a bad legislation. And it isn't just talk, talk, talk. This week, we're bringing you a rapid fire round of legislation. It's like speed dating, but instead of awkward eye contact and sweaty palms, we're serving up ways to get involved with conservation and wildlife management. If you don't choose to get involved, we're just serving up anxiety about the future of hunting and fishing. The Florida legislature just passed SB 632, which allows people to kill a bear if the person believes that they were in an imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury to himself or to others. The bill must be signed by Governor Ron DeSantis to become law. In South Dakota, Senate Bill 173 would create extra licenses for South Dakota landowners and their leasees to hunt a female elk, otherwise known as a cow, every year on agricultural land in the prairie elk units. The bill has passed the Senate. It is now being considered by the House. The Mississippi House of Representatives recently passed HB 1298, which would require hunters 16 years and older to purchase a turkey stamp to hunt turkeys. Residents would pay $10 for the stamp, while non-residents would pay $100. The bill passed the House with a wide margin and is headed to the Senate. Thanks to Corey Botts for sending us that one. California is once again setting its sights on firearms with a new bill that would require annual registration of all firearms in the state. SB 1160 would require all gun owners to pay a yearly fee and register every firearm they own. Thanks to Daniel Hernandez for sending that one in. In Idaho, House Bill 469 would prohibit the Department of Fish and Game from adopting a rule that makes it unlawful to use 209 primers, pelletized powder, or sabots in a muzzleloader-only season. Senate Bill 1340 would require the Fish and Game Commission to give outfitters who fill a wolf tag the opportunity to purchase an additional bighorn sheep, mountain goat, or moose tag. Thanks to listener Robert Poe for making me wear those bills just jackassery. The Minnesota legislature is considering a bill that would ban lead ammo for hunting and competition, including high school clay shooting teams. For more on that, check out the article on TheMeatEater.com. 
In a similar vein, Maryland Bill HB 1473 would require the Department of Natural Resources to phase out the use of lead ammunition for hunting by December 31, 2026. The Oregon legislature is considering an omnibus wildlife bill aimed at combating CWD expanding wildlife crossings, reducing wildlife human conflicts, and combating invasive species. The bill is being supported by outdoor groups like backcountry hunters and anglers. We can give that one a good legislation. In Wyoming, the legislature will be voting on Senate File 111, which would create separate seasons for whitetail and mule deer. I'd give that a good legislation as well. Good legislation! Here's a reminder about Vermont S-258. We covered this bill in episode 247, but it's still being considered by the Natural Resources and Energy Committee. This piece of legislation would eliminate the Citizen Fish and Wildlife Board that sets regulations for hunting, fishing, and trapping in cooperation with Department of Fish and Wildlife Biologists. It would replace that board with a non-geographically representative board, two-thirds of which will be appointed by the legislature. Strangely, some members of this new board would be explicitly prohibited from being hunters, anglers, or trappers. Bad legislation! In Oklahoma, Senate Bill 1605 would remove the authorization of the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation to set territorial limitations on black bear seasons. Currently, the season only takes place in the southeast corner of the state, Another Oklahoma bill, Senate Bill 1851, would limit deer hunters to one antlered buck per season, whitetail or mule deer. Many thanks to listener Matt Gamble for sending us those bills. The Iowa legislature is considering a bill that would give hunters who hit a deer with their car one free antlerless tag to be used in the current or upcoming season. The bill number is SF2328, and it's being considered by the Natural Resources and Environment Committee. Staying in Iowa, HF2481 would create a bounty program for raccoons that would shell out $5 for every raccoon tail turned in. That bill has been referred to the Committee on Environmental Protection. There isn't a bill related to this issue yet, but Texans should watch out for new policies about mountain lions. Mountain lions in the Lone Star State aren't managed as game species, but the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission is poised to begin work on an official management plan. That plan would likely impose regulations on harvest and hunting methods similar to what's in place in other states. Virginia legislators are considering a proposal that would require hound hunters in the state to obtain a special hound hunting permit. The permit would be free and minimally restrictive, but it would be designed to foster an atmosphere of voluntary compliance while preserving private property rights and the tradition of hunting dogs in Virginia. The proposal is being pushed as an amendment to the state budget. That bill is HB 30. Here's an update from Wisconsin. The state assembly approved two bills last week, one of which would ban doe hunting in the northern part of the state for four years. The other will increase non-resident deer hunting licenses by $40 to $200, among other non-resident license increases. The doe ban is Assembly Bill 1030, and the non-resident fee bill is Assembly Bill 1036. I know a certain Duran brother that is not going to be a fan of that non-resident increase, and I know a lot of Wisconsin folks that are saying, what in the heck is the deal with this doe ban here in the uh, age of chronic wasting disease? But uh, moving on to the national stage. 
The Public Lands and Public Hands Act would require congressional approval for the sale or transfer of publicly accessible tracts of federal land greater than 300 acres or greater than 5 acres if accessible by public waterway. Get in touch with the U.S. Congress people about that one. I personally like that one. That makes us uh, think a little bit uh, harder about ditching our public lands. Uh, thank Representative uh, Zinke for running that one up the flagpole. Moving on to the psychology desk. If you ever had trouble paying attention in school, a new study suggests that your ancestors may have used that trait to find food. Researchers from the University of Pennsylvania published a study last month that suggests traits associated with ADHD, like impulsivity and distractibility, can make people better at foraging. The study, published in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society B, asked 457 participants to play an online berry-picking game. They were told to collect as many virtual berries as possible under a time constraint. After they completed the game, they filled out a questionnaire designed to identify ADHD. According to the study, people who self-reported having ADHD symptoms collected more berries because they were willing to travel to different virtual berry bushes when the fruit yield began to shrink. Even though this wasted time and travel, they collected more fruit because they were more likely to move to areas with better yield. Of course, real-world foraging is a lot different than in virtual reality, and none of the participants were clinically diagnosed with ADHD. But it's still an interesting explanation for the prevalence of ADHD today. Many of the traits that have negative consequences in some environments can actually be an advantage in other environments. Being distractible and impulsive isn't great if you work in a cubicle 40 hours a week, but it might be a good thing if you need to find calories in the woods. If our hunter-gatherer ancestors were more likely to survive if they had ADHD, it could explain why that trait has been passed down to us today. Old Musky Chet over here, I'm sure is like, you know, a good ADHD guy can probably pick out a better twister tail out of the old wildlife tackle box because they're always willing to change it up. And... ADHD isn't the only disorder that some scientists believe can be an evolutionary advantage. A 2023 paper published in the journal Frontiers of Psychiatry argues that negative traits like neuroticism, psychopathy, and narcissism can have positive evolutionary functions. Neuroticism, what you might call having a hyperfunctional alarm system, can keep people away from dangerous situations. Being constantly alert and anxious has other negative consequences, but I'm willing to bet that the oldest deer are also the most neurotic. Psychopathy includes traits like impulsivity, risk-taking, and callousness. This can get you into serious trouble, but a lack of empathy isn't a bad thing from an evolutionary perspective. Same deal with narcissism. The desire to uh, tell everybody how great you are while climbing the ladder of status, power, or fame, you know, won't get you into my beer-drinking circle, but it's going to make you darn successful. I don't know this for a fact, but I'd wager there's plenty of very successful narcissists probably on the boards of the world's largest companies. Now I'm venturing into deep water here, so I'll end this segment before my waders fill up. Still, it's super interesting to think about how Homo sapiens ended up at the top of the food chain despite all of our flaws. And last but not least, the mailbag. I received an email from a listener named Colton Boomgarden, as in boom, there goes the garden, asking for help with the littering problem on a piece of public land in northern Illinois. He wrote, quote, over the past weekend, I took to the woods in search of fallen antlers and walked out with nothing but a backpack full of beer cans, plastic bottles, and other miscellaneous trash. This piece of public land is in northern Illinois and shared by horseback riders. I have witnessed them 
firsthand while sitting in a tree throw their trash wherever they please. I have no issue with them being there, I just want them to pick up after themselves. So I'm writing in to ask you how you would go about getting something done about this and making a change. Having had some time to think on this, you're obviously hunting there. The cat's out of the bag, you already said that. So you probably don't want to advertise this because it's one of your hunting spots. But what you could do, and I've seen this done many times, if there's a spot where you could create some signage, make like a nice little pro sign in your spare time, hang up a big collected bag of trash, and just say, hey, on this date, I picked up this much trash. Please pick up after yourselves and others. Like, no matter what, you're going to be picking up trash that other people leave behind. Just the sad way of the world, like the responsible folks take care of the irresponsible folks. But you can train irresponsible folks to be responsible folks. Courteousness does this, but also shame. Shame works. Now, if you are in Illinois and you have a desire to help, uh, well, boom goes the garden, right in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askhal at meateater.com. We'll get you all in touch, and you can do some trail cleanup. Also, if you're part of, like, a horseback trail riding group, this would be something for you to just, like, whip up your constituency with. And speaking of whipping up the constituency, we covered a lot of legislation today, some good, some bad. If we did not get to your state It does not mean it's not happening in your state. The point of this whole darn podcast is to get you active and get you involved. If your state's legislature is in session, there is something happening that's going to affect you. So you got to get involved. Sign up for Rod and Gun Clubs. Get their newsletters. Be informed and take action. Write emails. Make phone calls. Heck, go testify on behalf of good bills. And let your opinion be known when the bad bills pop up, too. It's not that scary. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, All of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com.